baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley and this is an episode of the show we've been waiting quite a while to bring you because we finally know what the Major League Baseball season is supposed to look like in 2020. We've got an outline, we've got marching orders, we've got details on all of that. Bill Rowland and I are going to go through all the need-to-know info for MLB's 60-game season format. Everything you need to know about both what's going to be happening on the field, off the field, and of course those health regulations as well. We'll get you up to date on that. You'll also hear from Braves GM Alex Anthopoulos on the return of baseball, the task ahead for him and for every GM, and how he feels about Atlanta's chances to contend in this unprecedented season. I'll also be joined by Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution to discuss all things Braves on this show as well. Make sure you subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you enjoy the show, please leave a rating and a review. Feel free to tell a friend as well. That's all appreciated. And be sure you're following along on social media. On Twitter, find the show at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley. That's G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. Bill Rowland is at Bill Rowland, B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D. And on Instagram, you can find the show at FromTheDiamond with no underscore on the end. And I am still at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. And of course, FromTheDiamond.com. That's where you can find every episode of the show and so much more. So we have a lot to jump into on this show as Major League Baseball announced that there will be a 60-game regular season in the year 2020, which has been unlike any other year that we've ever seen as far as Major League Baseball is concerned. And for most of us, I think it's pretty safe to say we haven't seen anything quite like this in our lifetimes. But one of the things in trying to return to some kind of normalcy, of course, is getting sports back in our life. And for myself and for Bill Rowland, who joins me now, we've been looking forward to getting baseball back. And we're hoping that by late July, we'll kind of come in and start to make us feel maybe just a little bit more back to normal when it comes to having baseball number one. And then as we go through the season, I don't know about you, but I kind of enjoy when we get into the fall, baseball's happening, and then maybe the other sports can come along and do their thing as well. Yeah, good to be back with you again, Grant. And uh, yeah, by all accounts, it looks like baseball is going to be able to pull this thing off. Talking about getting the the smaller, I guess, spring training, if you want to call it spring training mm-hmm. light, uh, started it in, in early July. And then I guess the schedule they're now saying will come out sometime next week, and, and we'll know where teams are going to be playing, when they're going to be playing, how all that's going to work out. But it's just nice to finally be able to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel as far as getting this season off the ground. Yeah, it definitely is. And we're going to go through a lot of the different scenarios that we need to deal with when it comes to not only what's the season supposed to look like, but also from a health protocol standpoint, what can we expect about how these players are going to be trying to combat the coronavirus and what Major League Baseball can do to 
try to slow that social distancing, all the other things that go into it that we're doing. How do you apply that to sports leagues and to teams and clubhouses and dugouts and uh, the like? So we're going to get into all of that. But I, I think the number one thing we're probably most happy about is not having to hear about any more negotiations between the owners and the players, at least for a little while. And what we've come up with and what they've come up with is a full prorated portion of salary for 2020 is going to be paid to the players based on the 60-game season. So if you're a numbers person like I am, about 37% of a normal season salary is what these players are going to be getting. And as Bill mentioned, the opening day is not too far away. July 23rd, 24th, I think is what we'll be looking at as players begin to trickle into their major league ballparks where they'll be training as opposed to all the spring training parks. Thanks to what's been happening in Arizona and in Florida, big league parks for all 30 teams. They'll have a secondary site for uh, some of the players that may not factor into the immediate plans when it comes to getting ready for the season. Those are all things we're going to jump into, including uh, no expanded playoffs. That's a little bit of a different thing. But, Bill, as you heard that Major League Baseball had come to an agreement, you've looked at some of these terms, we'll dive into you know, some of them as we go along, as many as we can get to and the time that we have. But what were your immediate impressions and uh, what do you think the 60-game season and then the postseason is going to look like if they can get this thing off the ground and make it happen all the way through? Yeah, I'm with you. I was surprised that when they came out that it only ended up being A, 60 games. I thought for sure they would try to get closer to 70. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get that pulled off. Also, the the playoffs – we were both expecting that they were going to go eight teams in you know, on each side yeah. so that the more more playoff teams means more players in the playoffs, which means more money for those players. And and they were kind of uh, – the players union was kind of holding steadfast to that at one point, but, again, couldn't really get that done. So it'll be interesting, as you've talked about, as far as the salaries go, and it's 37%. I mean, if you look at it, 60 games, I bet if you go back – and look at most teams that make the playoffs. I'm not even going to go as far as World Series winners, but most teams that make the playoffs at some point, if you take a 60-game chunk, they probably went 500, mm-hmm. maybe even a little bit less. over. If that happens now, you could have a team that clearly over 162 games would be a playoff team and a World Series contender. All they need to do is have two bad months or two average months, and they may be out. So I think this is going to be kind of exciting for some of those cities who maybe looked at it and said, ah, we wouldn't have a chance over 162 games. We might win 75. Maybe we'd get to 500 or 80. Well, you know what? You need, you need to be hot for two months. All you really need to do mm-hmm. is probably go 35 and 25, and you might be there. And I bet most teams, unless you're really, really bad, you can look, and they probably had a stretch where they played 35 and 25 baseball. And that might be enough to get you in. So it's going to be fascinating to see how some of these teams that are favorites, if they get off to a slow start, a 2-8, and you think back to the Nationals last year. No doubt. They would have no prayer. No prayer if they get off to that start in 2020. They'd have no shot at the playoffs. I think it's going to be an incredibly fun season, albeit short, to watch and see how the pressure gets to those teams, say like the Yankees that are expected to be good, if they get off 20 games in and they're sitting at 10-10 and 10 and we're a third of the way done with the season, are they going to start stressing out? Or those teams that we weren't expecting to be good jump out and get on a 15-5 and five run at some point and all of a sudden they're there? So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. 
Yeah, one of the interesting things I think we can look at is every year there's those surprise teams that get off to a quick start. Well, if you say, to your point, go 15-5 and five in your first 20 games and you're, I don't know, the Seattle Mariners and you're not really expected to do that, all of a sudden you're a third of the way through the season because now 20 games is the new 54 games. And we're going to get into this, I think, maybe do a whole show on what the stats are going to look like requisite to the percentage that takes a 60-game season and what it would look like over the course of 162. Because, I mean, Bill, this is as old as time. You know, looking at players when they get off to that start and you begin to discuss so-and-so is on pace to break blah, blah, blah record, whether it's the single-season hits or the home run record, whatever it is in, in our lifetimes anyway. I don't know if any records are going to be broken anytime soon of that like, but Either way, as you look at the percentage of the schedule for these teams, they're going to have to evaluate things very differently this year than they have in years past, which would have made an expanded playoff a little bit more intriguing. But as of now, the three division winners in both leagues, the two wildcard winners, LDS still best of five, and LCS and World Series stay best of seven. Getting things started means that spring training is going to have to begin again, and I've already joked that you know, this spring training thing is going to be more like summer training, but for the purposes of what's happening, you know, you're going to have to get your players back in shape, but you're going to have to do it without having a schedule of exhibition games to help in that regard. So it's going to be really interesting to see, A, what kind of shape these players show back up in, and B, what you're able to do to simulate and get you ready to pretty much start a season at the drop of a hat. That will begin on July 1st. That's when players will begin reporting to their big league clubs. Second site for up to 20 players. 40 players, I guess, in the big league parks, maybe the maximum, or you can send up to 20 to a second park. I'm not sure how everybody's going to break up the 60 players that you're allowed to invite to spring training, but you're going to have to make some pretty important decisions, Bill, because those 60 players are the only ones in your organization that are going to be eligible to play in the 2020 regular season. So barring trades and, and bringing players in from the outside, this is a whole new level of roster management when it comes to beginning spring training. Well, and they've also got to look at, okay, you have that pool that you can pull from. You're also going to have to scale down. That's one of the things during the season. You can start 30 active players, and then it scales back as you get further into the season. So you've got to kind of figure out, okay, of our of our 26 that we're going to get down to, who are the four guys that we need for those first couple of weeks? Is it going to be pitchers? Is it going to be extra hitters? Because – Everybody's got the DH now. So maybe those National League teams that didn't necessarily need a big bat uh, for whatever reason because you don't have the DH, so they never really drafted or, or put their team together that way. All of a sudden, maybe they take a guy that normally wouldn't make the team as one of their first 30 because they just need somebody that can bash and maybe they don't play the field at all. That's where I think it's going to be interesting. And I think some of the National League teams – are at more of a disadvantage than the American League teams because they're used to this. They're used to finding that guy that is going to you know, hit you over the course of a regular season, maybe 30 to 35 home runs, and maybe only hits 250, but that's still better than what a pitcher would hit. National League teams don't look for that necessarily. If a guy can do that, he better be able to play first base or right field or left field or whatever it is. So now do they sort of look into their minors and say, okay, we've been trying to – plug this guy in and maybe make him a first baseman or an outfielder. We don't have to do that. Now we can just make him a DH. Will that get some guys to the major leagues faster than they necessarily thought they'd get there? 
I think it could. And I also think that pitchers are going to get a lot of opportunities, especially early on when you're talking about this 30-man roster. And uh, throughout this show, and you'll hear from him a little bit later on, Alex Anthopoulos had a conference call this past week and said something a lot of Braves fans, I'm sure media members were probably already thinking is, you got all these nice pitching prospects. Can you use them early in the year to cover some innings so that you don't put the full strain on your starting five right out of the gate? And that sounds like what the Braves are going to consider doing. And I'm sure other clubs are probably going to look at the depth that they have and the prospects that they have and say, how can we best complement our big league club right now with these guys? And, you know, putting aside a conversation we could have another time about what in the world does player development look like for the minor leagues this year? There are all kinds of different caveats that go with the 60 players that you have in spring training and, of course, managing the 30-man active roster that goes down to 26 and then what you do with the remainder of the 60 players who aren't on your big league roster. A lot of different decisions that GMs, executives, and and even managers when it comes to how they want to deploy these guys once they come to the big leagues it's going to be unlike any year that we've ever seen. Now, uh, going back to a couple of things I think are kind of important about this is that a trade deadline is going to be in place. It is August the 31st. And from my understanding, the 60-man player pool that you have is also the guys that you can trade from this year, which you want to be able to make trades, but then you have to go ahead and name the assets by which you can make those trades happen by the trade deadline. That seems to be a, a pretty interesting caveat and something we can discuss a little bit more down the line, but August 31st trade deadline is now the place, and a player must be added to the Major League roster by September 15th to be eligible for postseason play as well. So a lot of different interesting things that are going to go into roster management and how exactly clubs are able to manage this player pool of 60 guys over the course of 60 games to get you into the postseason. Yeah, and we can do a deeper dive because I think it'll take more time than necessarily we have this week. Also, you look at, we just had the Chris Bryant situation as far as their service time. What does service time do Mm -hmm. when it's only a 60-game regular season? Maybe you can steal uh, a year from some of these guys and still keep them under control because it's only 60 games. So that'll be an interesting thing to see how teams manage that as well. But I want to get your thoughts on a couple of the rule changes. We just talked a little bit about the DH, but... The regular season, and this is important to know that it's the regular season, will not happen in the postseason. They're going to use the minor league system that they experimented with of throwing a guy on second base at the beginning of the uh, top of the 10th inning, every half inning. Somebody will start at second base. It's the person who made the last out or a pinch runner for the person who made the last out the inning before, inning prior. I get it because they have – only a limited amount of time if they're going to be playing all in one place if there's more than one game at one stadium I'm not sure that I like it Grant it's just going to look weird and it's hokey and it's the same thing that my slow pitch softball league does and we're nowhere close to to be playing like major league baseball players no I mean I hate this rule I understand it in the minor league system because it has to do with having an 18 inning minor league game in which you're trying to develop players and all kinds of different aspects that, you know, you just don't want to put pitchers through that at this point. Okay, fine. I can look at it from a developmental standpoint saying that, hey, these marathon minor league games aren't good for us from a player development standpoint. Okay, you can sell it to me that way. It's just not a rule that I look at to think that has a place in professional baseball and something that when I saw it go into play in the minor leagues, I felt like we're going to have to deal with this at some time. But Common sense will prevail, and this won't be something that Major League teams and Major League Baseball is going to look at as a serious option because, to me, the very fundamental 
aspect of baseball and being a hitter is having to get on base in some way, shape, or form, whether that's a hit or an error or catcher's interference or a walk or hit by pitch, however you get on base, those are things that I believe have to be earned with an at-bat or a plate appearance. And this is just a non-starter to begin with. And it's really frustrating to see that in the midst of all of the things going on that they're trying to figure out, that this was even brought up. And we can go through these numbers on another episode of the show as well, but the percentage of Major League Baseball games that go into extras and then the percentage that go beyond a certain level, you're really not curtailing much when it comes to this rule, the extra innings, base runner, and trying to end games early. And I just don't know that even the numbers in the minor leagues would indicate that it's really accomplished a whole lot other than probably annoying a whole lot of people that don't want to see that kind of change to baseball. I think it's a gimmick, and I don't think it has any place in Major League Baseball. And I hate to sound just old and set in my ways, but from a traditional standpoint, I try to look at things that can benefit the game as it evolves, and I just don't see where this fits any criteria whatsoever. It's just a gimmick in my book, and I don't think baseball needs gimmicks for either popularity or to improve the game. That's right, Grant. You tell those kids to get off your lawn and stay off no your doubt. lawn. <laughs> but the weird thing is, you may have a guy, and, and look, a, a perfect game is so rare, I doubt we'll get in this situation. What happens, you get to the 10th inning, guy's got a perfect game, you put a runner on second, a ground out to second base, and a fly out to left field, and all of a sudden the guy's still got a perfect game, he's down one nothing. Yeah, I don't know. Any way that you can present this rule to me that's going to make me look at it, even with the wild possibility that you could have a perfect game going into extras, which I know that happened with uh, Pedro Martinez some years ago when he pitched nine perfect innings and then lost it, but we're so beyond complete games. I don't know if we'll see more than five complete games in all of Major League Baseball this year. That's what I'm going to set my over-under, maybe five and a half, however you set over-unders. I don't think it's going to be very many is the big point here because you don't have time to properly build these guys up to begin with. So I understand not wanting to have extra inning games, but I also feel like manipulating the drama and the outcome of games like this and messing with things in this way, I just don't find it to be beneficial to the game, throwing aside you know, what my preference is, you know, my preference is guys go out there and play baseball, and if different strategies help different teams win in different ways, that's fine. If you want to use five pitchers a night or five relievers after your starter goes four innings, if you want to use the opener, I don't care whatsoever. But when it comes to giving teams free base runners, that's just not something that I signed up for as a fan that excites me about the game of baseball. I don't want to see how it works. I don't care to test drive it. I'm just not interested in it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think it's a crazy rule. Like I said, it's fine for your beer league softball game when you only have so many minutes to get that game in anyway because you got somebody else that's supposed to play after you. So, yeah, you got to do it for stuff like that. Or even down in Little League Baseball because you're trying to get the games in. I get all of that. Major League Baseball doesn't have a clock, or it shouldn't. And adding a runner to second base makes me feel like they just – are seeing they're going, well, we played nine. We didn't think we were going to go more than this. Let's get out of here. So go ahead and put a runner on so we can all go home. That's what it feels like is they just want to get it done and be over with. And I don't know that the average fan wants that. Even if they sit there and complain that the game's too long and everything else, I still don't think they want to see a runner put on second base in the top of the 10th inning because, well, the game's lasting too long. 
you put it in line with other things that have been put into place. Like this year, you've got the three batter minimum. There were going to be some rules about position players pitching and how that's going to be something they're trying to suppress going forward, which I don't necessarily disagree with, but none of this is going to stop players and teams from utilizing their bullpen more so than we might've grown up with when every pitcher in your starting rotation has the opportunity to go nine innings. And if he can't, then the bullpen comes in and fixes things or closes things out. Now it's we've designed the bullpen for a specific role. The starter only needs to get us so far, and then we'll allow the bullpen to take over and go from there. And you know, if that happens three to four or five times a week, I think you can probably manage that effectively, but with the complete lack of pitchers that can go the distance anymore or even routinely go eight innings a year and give you, what, 225, 240 innings a season, I think it's put baseball in a place where unless or until the strategy changes, you're not going to be able to manipulate things like putting base runners on and extras to curtail the time of game and all of a sudden make it palatable because not every game goes extras either. I mean, I've seen plenty of three and a half to you know three hour and 45 minute nine inning baseball games. And I don't think the three batter minimum is going to make that big of a dent on those either. So long story short, the way that baseball is broadcast and presented, you want to start making commercial breaks shorter. That might shave some time off the game, but I don't think baseball, particularly now, is going to look to keep money from going into its general coffers in order to make the game faster and thereby more palatable to fans who may or may not like the game of baseball in and of itself. So the point of diminishing returns has long since been passed with making these kind of changes and altering the game in ways that just don't benefit it overall. As much as I I hate to root against baseball, because I love the game. I mean, obviously, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it as much as we do if we didn't love the game, I almost hope that this ends up being an abject failure as far as putting a runner on second. I hope the players revolt against it. I hope the managers revolt against it. I hope they say it's the stupidest thing they've ever done so that they don't get any type of idea that they should use it beyond 2020. That's my hope. Yeah, and I sit here and I'll tell you, I hate to see when we get into baseball discussions and it does sound like, you know, the game is almost rooting against itself. And, you know, there's a lot of different talk about, you know, how the game is presented and you've got things like metrics and the advanced statistics that really drive a lot of baseball right now. And you turn on a broadcast and you got to deal with a broadcaster or an analyst that just doesn't like it because it doesn't fit in with the way that they watch baseball. I like baseball to be welcoming of all different views of the game and the strategy of the game. And if you love it for a different reason than I do, that's fine. But if your love of the game is for pitchers to bat in the year 2020, we might disagree. But if they do hit, fine. If they don't hit, I don't care. You can put a DH in either way. But when I look at things like putting free runners on base that did not earn their way out there or were not the result of, hey, the team made a mistake and that's given the other team an opportunity – I just don't see where the value of that is in long-term, the benefit of making the game better. I think, if anything, it just undermines the competition in a way that I don't think Major League Baseball should have even invited in. And I guess by putting it in the minor leagues and beta testing that, they feel comfortable enough to trot this thing out there and try it out. But I'm with you. I hope that this does not see the light of day after 2020. Talking about something a little more lighthearted, although instant replay has kind of taken away the old-type Earl Weaver, Billy Martin face-to-face with the umpire, you know, Bobby Cox even yelling at the umpire. They've got the rule in there now 
that if you get within six feet, if you come out of the dugout or you're on the field and you argue with an umpire and you get within his six-foot bubble, you're immediately ejected from the game, probably going to pick up a suspension. If there is a manager out there, who's the first one that ends up breaking the six-foot barrier? Again, they don't do it as much now because they've got instant replay. They can just come out and say, hey, take a look at that because I think you missed the call. It may not be the guy you think it's going to be, but I, I feel like even a guy like Joe Madden, who's a, a pretty heady manager, I mean, you could still end up getting hot over a play and want to debate it, but I guess the big thing right, right now is that from a social distancing standpoint, they're just not going to allow this stuff. As I looked at that particular rule, which is part of some of the health things that we should get to before we wrap up, you know, managers who leave their position to argue with umpires or players and come within six feet, they're going to get ejected. And anybody starting an altercation of any sort, so this benches clearing business, that's not going to be looked upon lightly this year either. And when you receive that fine and suspension, keep in mind, out of a 60-game season, the percentage of time you're going to miss is way more. So all of a sudden, you get a three, four, five-game suspension, you can pretty much, for all intents and purposes, multiply that by three. You get suspended for four games, that's like serving a 10, 11, 12-game suspension because of what percentage of the season it is. So... Uh, they're not looking to reduce it or prorate it based on the number of games that are going to be played this season. I thought that was a pretty fascinating caveat when it came to, yeah, these guys are going to be disciplined and it's going to be consistent with what it's always been, but you got less time to take that out of. Yeah. I love the fact that they, you know, in that list of things of, of, as far as social distancing and everything, they said fighting, not allowed. When was it ever allowed? Right. <laughs> that was the bizarre thing. It's like, wait a minute. That was never really okay to begin with. So now you're just making, rules up that were already in place but i mean again if you get hit you can't charge the mound which to me it's the way it should be anyway you get hit go to first base just let it be but they've now put it in there that fighting will not be allowed this year oh okay because it was in the past yeah we appreciate major league baseball not smiling on it this year a couple of other little interesting things that come along with the covid19 response that major league baseball is trying to weave into what will be a much shorter season Uh, 10-day injured list is still in place. The 60-day IL is now the 45-day IL. Those are the normal injured list, but there's also going to be a special separate injured list for players who either test positive or have symptoms and confirmed exposure to someone with COVID-19, and there's no maximum or minimum days for the special IL. So uh, that should be interesting, and you can only come off of that IL, I guess, once you have passed two tests, so have two negative results, and of course, I think everybody is looking at what other measures are they going to take. Players, coaches, support staff, anybody who's not playing is going to be wearing a mask on a regular basis. So I guess that'll be a, an interesting thing to look out and see in the bullpen. The players are going to be getting their temperatures and symptoms checked twice per day. They're going to do some antibody testing once a month. Again, all the social distancing stuff is going to be in place, both on field and off as much as possible. Even things like exchanging the lineup card before the game. High fives and fist bumps and things of that nature. That's not part of baseball in 2020. And, of course, I think something we can all look at and say, I don't know if I mind it going away, but it's probably going to be pretty tough for the players to stop. And that, of course, is spitting, whether that's just normal spitting or tobacco or sunflower seeds. That is not going to be allowed in the game this year either. So a lot of things are going to be much different than the normal baseball that we're used to seeing. And I don't know how you're going to police some of these things because it's going to be hard for folks to – kind of stop doing things that are old hat for them, especially a high five after a home run or a good play or helping a guy up, stuff like that. I guess you can't do it. Or even guys that, I mean, again, superstition or just routine. I mean, I think about it. How tough is it going to be if you're a guy who um, 
you know, chew sunflower seeds for the entire game because that's your way of getting out nervous energy or it helps you concentrate or whatever, and all of a sudden you can't do it. That's going to be really weird for some guys. And like you said, how are they going to – is it going to be an umpire who sees a guy out in center field and all of a sudden he's spitting seeds? Are they going to stop the game and make mm-hmm. sure he goes out and takes that, that big wad of sunflower seeds out of his mouth? I, I don't know how they're going to necessarily police it, but – it's going to be weird. It's going to be different. Like you said, a guy hits a home run, he gets to the plate. They're going to have to do the you know air high fives or whatever it is and, and not touch each other. I guess we'll get used to it, but it is going to look very, very weird. Yeah, it's going to be extremely strange, and it's just one of the many things that as baseball looks to find ways to combat COVID-19 and the spread of it and, and do all the things that they can to have this season happen. Uh, this is just all things that ended up on the list. But, yeah, high fives, fist bumps, hugs, all that kind of stuff. For a guy like Freddie Freeman, there'll be no uh, Freddie hugs this year, none of that stuff. Uh, and, again, things that they're going to put in place and monitor it, down to how long is a baseball going to stay in play. And I kind of joked about this. And uh, baseball, it's life in a Major League Baseball game is typically only about two to three pitches. Uh, are we going to see twice as many baseballs used? Is it going to be 20 dozen baseballs used? I mean, because you're fouling these balls into the stands, but guess what? There's probably not going to be any fans to catch them. So uh, what's the protocol for these things? How long are they going to last? And what in the world are they going to do with all these to get through a major league game? Those are the kind of questions I'm also wondering about, in addition to all the big headline-grabbing stuff. I wonder if they'll have somebody just go and retrieve all of them. Yes, you <laughs> just, do. I mean, if they're not scuffed up, throw them back into play. I mean, just now, put them in the bucket, ready to go. Once it's been touched by multiple players, they're going to take the thing out. So in a foul ball situation, if you are it's one of those touch. players that's sitting up in the stands, are you allowed to touch it? Or are they just supposed to leave them there and collect them at the end of the day? I don't really know what the protocol is for that. If you're trying to not have people handling things and handing them to each other, on a regular basis. And the one other thing that I thought was pretty interesting as far as rules changes are concerned, we got into the extra inning base runner, we got into the DH, but how about the wet rag that pitchers are going to be allowed to hold in their back pocket this year because they can't lick their fingers to get a better grip on the baseball? And how many guys are going to do that just, again, instinctually, they're used to doing it. They won't even think about it. It becomes, it's a habit for a lot of those guys. Is the umpire going to wave it off? Hold, Hold on, no, no, no. Get the Perel out here. We got to clean your hand off, and then you got to go to the towel, and then you can touch the baseball. I just think it's going to be maddening for those guys who get into a routine of licking their fingers, wiping it on their you know jersey pants or whatever it may be, and then going up to the mound to pitch. And with that rag, they can only touch it off the mound, and it can only have water on it. Now, Grant, how many guys are going to get caught with something other than water on that towel? Well, good luck trying to police that. That's another thing Major League Baseball is going to have to figure out. But a lot of stuff for us to discuss over the coming weeks as we lead up to opening day, which will either be July 23rd or 24th. We'll have a clearer understanding of what Major League Baseball's schedule should look like by sometime next week, according to Ken Rosenthal and others. I look forward to diving into all of this and more with you, Bill. It was nice to get back together and talk about some of this stuff, and I look forward to doing it again next week. Absolutely. Happy uh, weekend to everybody, and we'll uh, talk hopefully more details next week. But, yeah, baseball closer and closer. It'll be July the next time we talk, and that's when they're supposed to start. So we're looking forward to it. Well, now that you're up to speed on what exactly is happening across Major League Baseball, the protocols, and everything that's going to make up this 2020 season, let's jump into what's going on for the Atlanta Braves and how all of this affects them. And I don't think there's any better source of information for that than Atlanta General Manager Alex Anthopoulos had a chance to take part in a conference call with the rest of the Braves media to find out how exactly Anthopolis and the club are planning to proceed as they get ready for this 60-game season. 
So let's hear from the Atlanta GM as he discusses the preparations for the Braves over the next couple of weeks. I mean, we're prepared from an operational standpoint. I think now it's just knowing more of the rules, rosters, things like that, staffing from a baseball standpoint. I mean, we know from a screening and things like that, you know, there's going to be a lot of work to be done in terms of getting players here, travel, housing, but we're prepared for those things. Now it's just a matter of um, what's the optimal way to set ourselves up with the rosters, knowing exactly how the rules are going to work and so on. So, you know, we have time. We're trying to be very thorough and thoughtful about that, and, you know, we'll obviously have to make some decisions here very soon. But uh, we're in a good place right now from a timing standpoint. Of course, we're all excited to have baseball back in our lives and looking forward to what we're hoping will be the opportunity to play this 60-game season. And Anthopoulos discuss what it'll be like to have baseball back and to finally get the regular season started. I'd say excitement. I think, you know, obviously we've all been following and so on and knowing that it's real and we're going to play. It's exciting. You know, the fact that, you know, we haven't done one of these in a long time. So, you know, obviously I have to do a ton of media today, but... That's a good thing. I'm glad because it means they get to talk about playing and the season and the roster and things like that. So I think, you know, we all realize how much we miss the game, we miss sports, and to know that uh, we're going to get back to doing the things that we love is very exciting. Spring training is going to be much different. One of the big differences, I would say, is the fact that it really isn't spring training at all. You could call it summer training, but for the purposes of defining exactly what it is, spring training 2.0 seems to have caught on. And as we've already discussed on the show, there are going to be a lot of changes to how exactly that's going to go with 60 players in camp. Anthopoulos discussed the ins and outs and details of how exactly the Braves are going to wrangle things in spring training to get the club ready for opening day. It's going to be unique, no doubt about it. We're still working through that. There's obviously a very thorough operations manual from MLB, so we're going. We're in the process of going through that now. Um, and I want to make sure that we take the time to just to understand everything, understand the rules, and we don't rush to make any determinations or decisions. So you know, I don't have specifics for you yet. Uh, obviously, it's going to be unique. There's no doubt about that. But uh, you know, the goal is to get ready whenever the official opening day is. I know we have a sense of whether it's the 23rd or the 24th. But um, you know, everything that we do is going to be geared towards that. And um, you know, we'll start to design a plan after going through the operations manual and so on and being thorough about it and then getting with the staff obviously the coaches and so on. But we're, we're in the process of doing that right now. And you know, between now and the end of the weekend, I expect all that to be wrapped up. So as I mentioned, and as you heard, there's going to be some changes in what exactly the format's going to be, particularly the fact that there will be two sites. And for the Braves, that'll be Truist Park and their AAA home in Gwinnett. Everyone knows what the setup's going to be. We, again, we're not going to have 60 players all in Atlanta at, at Truist Park. So we're going to have it split up between Gwinnett and Atlanta, and for the most part, we will have what will likely be the group that we are going to start with. So maybe some exceptions and so on, but I don't think we're going to deviate too far off the 30 or so players we would expect to start the year with. So um, knowing that, the fact that it will be a smaller group, that should make it a lot easier to manage with the one field. Now, for Anthopolis and every GM across baseball, it's going to be a little bit different trying to manage 60 players on a roster. This is well beyond the 40-man and beyond the active roster, which will start the season at 30 players and whittle down to 26 by the end of the first month. Anthopolis shared his thoughts on how exactly he's going to go about managing the roster in a very unique season. You know, there's all kinds of things. You know, one, 
it's going to be challenging. You know, it's always challenging. The NL East, obviously I'm biased, but it was the only division in baseball with four teams that were 500 and, and above. And those teams are obviously still there and still very well intact. And now you add the AL East, which got a lot of familiarity with the AL East, with all mayors in Toronto, and that's an incredible challenge as well. But we're all faced with the same challenges. But I think, you know, things like the roster, managing the roster, managing your 60 total players, I think even other aspects, knowing that you're going to start at 30 and then get down to 28 and then from 28 get down to 26. And you have to, even though things are going to be fluid, you still need to try to stay a few steps ahead of, you know, what your roster might look like, how it might evolve, and so on. So, again, things can change. You can have all the best plans in the world, and all of a sudden you get to spring training, and guys start getting hurt and start getting sore and so on, and things can change. But I think for the most part, our team is fairly set. You know, the game's the same. And, um, you know, I think the key, like anything else, just in a shorter period is to stay healthy, and hopefully our depth is uh, as important as we expected it to be. As the Braves are building their roster and looking to get everything in place by Sunday's deadline, Alex Antopoulos was asked about the availability of players, given that they can opt out if they are at risk or close to someone who is high risk as far as a family member is concerned or have other health risks that could pose a problem to playing through this pandemic. I do not expect any changes. That doesn't mean there won't be. But you know, in the last few days, and you know, we've stayed in contact with a lot of our players and so on, I would expect all of our players to report at this date. When it comes to what the players will be doing when they're not at the ballpark, Alex Antopoulos said, as of right now, that's going to be up to the individuals themselves. They can go home. Now, I would expect some would stay in a hotel and some will have apartments. Some already have homes in Atlanta. So there'll be very, very thorough um, screening process when they come in daily. There'll obviously be a lot of testing done as well. But you know, when they're in Atlanta, they're free to, uh, to live where they want to. One of the main things that will change for the Braves and every other National League club is the addition of the DH, which will be universal across both leagues in the year 2020. Now, however that shakes out in the future, we'll find out. But as far as what the Braves are planning to do this season with DH, Anthopoulos said they have no shortage of options. DH-wise, I think we're very well positioned. We've talked a lot about our depth in the past and even trying to find enough playing time before the DH was even going to be a factor. Uh, to get guys at bats and playing time. So that's going to open up some playing time for guys that are well-deserving. So we think we're in a good spot there. Not only is it a challenge to get your big league club roster set and to make the changes you need to, but with no minor league season, it's going to be a bit different for all these prospects and young players as far as development is concerned. Antopoulos discussed what it's going to be like managing the players not on the major league roster. Yeah, we've absolutely talked about that. I think, again, right now you're looking at live VPs, some type of inner squad, you know, if you have enough bodies and so on. But it's going to be a challenge, no doubt about it. And, it, you know, at some point it's the same group all the time. So, But every club is going to have the same challenges. We're going to continue to, you know, to discuss that and try to devise plans. And I, and I would expect that to, over time, I think that'll change too because no one's got any experience with something like this. So as much as we'll have a game plan going into it, I would expect us, to have, you know, to come up with creative ideas as we're going through it, and if we have ways that we think we can improve upon things or other ideas, we'll certainly we won't be afraid to implement them. But just like you said, I mean, it's going to be a lot of things like that, and um, to try to keep guys sharp. Beyond the 60 players the Braves can invite to big league camp, there's going to be some trickle down effects throughout all of the minor league affiliates, since none of them are going to be able to have a normal season's worth of games. And Topless discussed the decisions they'll have to make when it comes to some of these top prospects. That's being discussed right now. Definitely there's some guys that I think that's one of our challenges is with 60 total players, 
how many spots do we allocate to prospects that we don't think will factor in Atlanta to continue to get them reps and development time that they've lost, while also maintaining that the priority is putting the big club in, in Atlanta in the best position to have success and to handle you know whatever challenges we have in terms of injuries and so on. So, like I said, we've obviously needed a good chunk of players the last two years. We have to be mindful of that. But at the same time, if we can do both, you know, we're definitely going to look to try to have some group of prospects be part of that uh, group that's up in uh, Gwinnett when we get started. Losing that minor league season is something that we may not know the effects of for some time to come, but everybody knows it's not ideal. Anthopolis discussed the effects of not having that minor league season and the development that it could cost some of these players. Yeah, we don't know what's going to happen for the winter. I know there's been a lot of ideas, conversations, but obviously none of those things have been decided. Again, it, all 30 clubs are dealing with the same challenges. So, you know, and I, obviously you're seeing it across youth sports as well. I know obviously from the, the amateur side, there was uh, tournaments now going on, but you've lost obviously uh, things in, that went on in the summer. So that's across all sports right now. But we're going to do our best to try to make up for it. And if we can get some of those guys as part of this group of 60, we'll certainly do it. So as the Braves get their Major League roster set for what's going to be a 60-game sprint instead of a 162-game marathon, Anthopoulos updated the health of one of Atlanta's key starters, Cole Hamels, who was slated to miss some time if the season had started back in March. He's feeling great. Obviously seeing a lot of film and, and updates and then throwing off flat ground. And he's throwing a bullpen, I believe, on Friday. He's scheduled to throw a bullpen, and um, he's feeling really good. So we'll have him come in, and we, you know, we'll see how things progress with all of our guys and how much we can get them stretched out. So we'll see how long that takes in terms of with all of our guys, our rotation candidates. But you know, right now, I know in terms of our projections and things like that, um, he's someone that we plan uh, to carry with us to start the year again. With all these guys, uh, things can change over the course of a month. But um, right now, we plan on being able to carry all these guys. Getting Hamels back in the fold will make a big difference for the Braves as they set their starting rotation, but that could look fairly different in 2020, especially given the workload that's going to be asked of starters early on and the lack of spring training and exhibition games to get themselves built up, which means Atlanta could tap into some of the young pitching to cover innings early in the season. The only thing we've kicked around, and again, we have not made any determinations, but one concept we've talked about is because of the short spring training and obviously guys have been staying in shape and throwing and so on, is how much do we push our starters in the rotation the first time through, maybe the first two times through? Because we feel like we have so much depth and with the expanded rosters at the beginning, do we limit our starters early on just to be overly cautious and make sure that they hold up and that we don't accelerate things too fast? We want to make sure that they all can last and we don't run into any injuries and things like that. So. I think with the expanded rosters at the outset, that's something that, you know, we'll see where the, these guys are by the end of camp. But we're not going to try to push our starters, our, the guys in the rotation, to do more than we think is safe. And I think because of our depth, we're able to do that. So, you know, we've talked about scenarios where we could be 10 deep in terms of maybe having guys go two to three innings, maybe some will go four, and then have guys come in behind them that can go another two or three. So and maybe that'll be the first few times through. So... It'll be fluid, and we'll evaluate that as we get through the month of July. But I think that those are the only things that we've talked about right now. But, again, I think we're going to have a lot more conversations between now and starting camp, and I'm sure we'll have some more ideas and so on. As the Braves prepare themselves for what they hope will be another trip to October, the question remains what kind of additions can be made for this club. 
Anthopoulos is hoping that they'll get to answer that question come the trade deadline, which is now August 31st. I hope that come the end of August that we're in a position where we want to act. You, know, you don't know, like you said, in a small sample size. You just don't know what kind of start you're going to get off to. You know, we've all seen it. Guys, players get off to slow starts. Teams get off to slow starts. Conversely, guys go the other way. They get off to hot starts on both sides. So you just hope that a month into it, you're right there and you're in a position to add. You know, that's obviously what the goal is going to be. And I, I would expect that, you know, just like any other year, you have a chance to win and a chance to get better. I would expect clubs to take advantage of the ability to make trades. So those are some of the thoughts and reactions of Atlanta General Manager Alex Anthopoulos. And he's got a lot of work to do over the next few weeks. I'm sure he's been busy leading up to this as well. But a lot of boxes to check as players get set to report to Truist Park on July 1st. And now we're going to talk a little bit more in-depth about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves, and in particular, what's going to be happening when the 2020 regular season begins. Still got a little ways to get there, but to help me kind of size all of that up and break down the news of this week, I want to welcome Gabe Burns into the show. He, of course, the Braves beat reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Gabe, great to talk to you. This makes two days in a row. I think that's some kind of streak that we haven't had since, I don't know, maybe late in the 2019 season. Yeah, Grant, thanks for having me. Uh, It's good to be back talking baseball again. Obviously, there's still a lot more serious stuff going on in the world and I hope everybody listening is safe and hopefully you know we can get this season rolling and players are able to stay safe and we can wind up getting through what's probably going to be remembered as the strangest season in MLB history. No doubt about it unprecedented one might say and we heard from Atlanta General Manager Alex Anthopoulos on a Wednesday and I played some of that conference call audio here on the show before we got started but Gabe, you were on that call, and Alex sounded pretty upbeat about getting things underway, but I think he's well aware of, as you alluded to, exactly how unique his task is going to be. Even if everything goes to plan for the Braves and for MLB, we'll have baseball back in our lives in just under a month. That is, if the pandemic allows. Yeah, I mean, he sounded pretty happy with how his roster set, as far as on-field stuff goes, he sounded pretty happy with how his roster stacks up, and and he should be. Uh, You know, just a quick glance across really every roster in the National League, and you feel like the Braves are definitely you know, the second, third best uh, group there. So he has, he has plenty to be confident about as far as depth and as far as how this team is set up to navigate a 60-game season. But it's no different with Alex than it is with the listener here or me or you. I mean, we don't know how this thing is going to play out. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's been nothing like this ever before. And it's, there's going to be a lot of unique ideas. There's going to be a lot of different efforts. It's going to feel very weird. It's going to feel weird in extra innings, especially. Uh, fans in the sta- I mean, it's probably not going to be fans in the stands. Just the entire thing, assuming we get there, is going to be really strange. So uh, just like us, uh, the general managers, the players, the coaches, I mean, everyone is trying to figure this thing out, too. So I, that's going to make for a lot of interesting storylines, and I'm, I'm really curious to see how it unfolds. Yeah, and let's break some of that stuff down as well. I mean, Alex was talking a lot about how they're going to manage the roster because it is going to be completely different, the situation this year, than in any other season that he's ever had and any of us have ever seen because instead of managing 40 players, he's going to be trying to find a place and roles for 60 players this time around. We know the MLB roster will be 30 active members to start, then it'll trim down to 26 by the end of the first month. But, Gabe, what kind of challenges do you think there will be for a GM to contend with this season? Well, I mean, the number one thing for everybody is going to be safety, and it's going to be just how to handle these players, you know, how to stay within the health guidelines and protocols. And and like Alex talked about with us, you know, these players are not going to be in a bubble. It's not going to be like the NBA. Mm -hmm. So when they leave the ballpark, they're free to do as they choose. So it's putting a lot on the individual to best kind of watch himself 
And so, so that really is the number one challenge. I do think that no fans, that's far down the list, but I do think that's going to be challenging for a lot of players. Um, unless maybe you're like Miami and you're used to it. Right. Like as far as Atlanta goes, as far as you know, as the Dodgers go, as far as the Cardinals, Cubs, mm-hmm. these teams that are used to really feasting off of big crowds, you don't have that anymore. So I, I think that's going to make for a really interesting dynamic. I would assume that you know there's still a home field advantage element to just being at home. But that aspect of it is kind of thrown off. And obviously the Braves have performed really well at home over the last couple of years. Once they really got to figure it out, it took a little bit there. But And then I mean, you look at the schedule, uh, that's another really challenging thing. Uh, and Alex pointed this out too. I mean, he didn't try to hide from it. The Braves have a really tough schedule. Yeah. Um, now, granted, everyone mentions that, but the other teams on the schedule are also like, oh, crap, we have the Braves on schedule. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's not as if they're the Orioles looking at this going like, oh, my word. So, <laughs> yeah, you've got 10 games each against the NL East which there's not a push over there. I mean, even Miami, they did make an effort to get better. I mean, they sure. signed guys. I mean, it's not the same Miami. And then you have the AL East and the Orioles are really the only push over there because I don't think that Toronto is going to be in contention, but they're certainly closer to middle ground than maybe their record said last year. So they're trending up. It's definitely a tough schedule. That's going to be a tricky element of it. I think the Western divisions also have a pretty tough go of it. And then, yeah, I mean, figuring out how you're going to organize the roster, figuring out the taxi squads, all of that is going to be, you know, those have to be, the 60-player pool has to be finalized on Sunday, I believe. But, I mean, there's still a lot to that. How are you going to handle top prospects? Like we saw the Mariners said the other day they're going to be carrying their uh, top guys on the taxi squad. I would assume that the Braves are going to be having Pache, Waters, and Anderson on theirs. And then, like what Alex mentioned with us, too, just about piggybacking pitchers, we're going to see guys pitch two, three, four innings their first two times through the turn to build them up. So, again, that's just a few things. But, I mean, there's just so much here that make it so unique and just so many unique challenges. Fortunately for the Braves, they have a pretty sharp general manager who I think should handle things pretty well. Yeah, and all those things that you laid out there, of course, assuming that health issues don't pop up and become a big problem in the middle of this pandemic and doesn't derail things any further, but there's going to be a level of accountability, you know, man-to-man in what these players do away from the ballpark and, of course, at the ballpark as well. So it's going to be interesting to monitor that, of course, and continue to get the information that MLB will be, I'm sure, receiving and putting out to its clubs based on other health organizations and things of that nature. Kind of the reality that we're all living in right now, but really trying to be hyper-focused so that they can mitigate as much as possible. And that, I don't think, is going to be the easiest task in the world. But you touched on a lot of things there, but I want to go back to some big-picture things for the Braves. And they've got depth on this roster in just about every area. They fortified the bullpen between the trade deadline and over the winter, signing Will Smith, which it's funny, you know, tweeting about some of these players, like whether it be – you know, Travis Darno or Cole Hamels or Will Smith. I mean, there may be some Braves fans that have never seen these guys put on a Braves uniform as of yet and may have forgotten that they were on the team. And that's kind of the, the getting reacquainted yeah. part that we're going to be getting into. But uh, you mentioned uh, they've got some options to help strengthen the rotation if they need to over the course of the 60-game season. It's going to be a lot more like a sprint than a marathon. And we're looking at a Super East division of both the American League East and the National League East the Braves are going to be playing in. How do you think Atlanta's going to size up against that competition? You mentioned that it's going to be tough, but everybody's kind of in the same boat because the Braves certainly bring a lot of competition to that division themselves. Yeah, I mean, the crazy thing is you you look at the all-Eastern teams here, and, I mean, 
you could certainly argue that the Braves are actually the third best team out of this group, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty crazy to think about. You could also argue that they're actually the best team, I think, uh, especially, you know, we, we'll see what happens with the Yankees as far as health goes. But it, it's a really, really impressive, even in what's supposed to be a down year, down year for the Red Sox. I mean, it's just a really impressive group. And, and I, I don't think the Marlins are going to be good, but I also don't think they're just going to lay down. I think you only have one pushover out of these 10 teams. So, so from that respect, it's going to be ultra competitive, but also uh, just as a baseball fan and as someone who enjoys watching this game, I think that seeing the Braves face the Rays, seeing them face the Yankees, seeing them face the Red Sox and seeing that young Toronto team. I mean, that sounds fun. I mean, that's kind of the, you know, more optimistic approach here is just, you know, we have some interesting matchups here. So as far as the actual NL East is concerned, you would have to think that a shorter season certainly helps the Nationals, uh, just given the makeup of, you know, their staff. So, I I mean, you know, I I tweeted something about the World Series odds last night. Yeah, I saw that. Four NL East teams were in the top ten, which is just crazy. And I, I haven't thought of the Phillies that highly. But 60-game season, there's not really much you can rule out here. So as far as uh, competitive goes, like I think the odds right now have the Braves at 33-and-a-half wins, the Nationals there too, the Mets a win behind, and the Phillies two wins behind. So, I mean, we could be looking at a division that comes down to the last series, uh, which is fun, but it's also obviously stressful for Braves fans, whereas I think the Braves would have had a much greater advantage over the division over the longer course of the season because of – all their depth and their ability to withstand injuries. Yeah, and looking at a lot of that when it comes from team to team and for the schedule, which is only 60 games, I mean, we're essentially looking at a third of a season's 54 games. So for all intents and purposes, it's not even quite 40% of a season. I would love to have seen half a season, you know, 80, 81 games, whatever that may be, something like that. I'm sure the players would have liked that too. But the reality of where we're at and the nature of baseball is, and I've seen a bunch of people, whether it was players or writers, whoever pointing it out, it's going to be pretty hard to avoid, you know, that three-game sweep, that five-game losing streak, whatever it may be. But you start doing the math on how many games that aren't on the schedule, and all of a sudden losing five games might feel like a nice long double-digit losing streak just based on how much of the season that chews up. Exactly. And so, like, we're pointing out the obvious here, and everyone's already referenced it. But, I mean, what happened with the Nationals last year? You're not seeing that this time around. It can't happen this year. Yeah, no. I, I mean, you're, there's going to be a heightened sense of urgency. So that is one aspect of it that uh, should make for exciting baseball because every game means that much more. Every series is magnified. So, yeah, it's going to matter big time in how you stop losing streaks. Fortunately, one thing we have seen out of this Braves team is they do not go on long skids mm-hmm. over these last couple of years. So that that is one element of the team that – if it translates here, would obviously really help them. So, yeah, uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be super competitive. And uh, like we've said, I, I do think the Braves stack up pretty well for it. The issue is they're facing a lot of teams who also could stack up pretty well for this. Yeah, let's talk about one area I think the Braves are pretty well stacked up for, and that is the National League teams are going to be utilizing the DH this year. It's a universal thing across all 30 teams. And we'll see if this is something that sticks around in the future, but it is the reality in 2020, and it gives Brian Snitker the chance to get more at-bats for several players that you might have been wondering how their playing time was going to go before the DH came into the equation. So who do you think spends the most time at DH, or are you like me? Do you expect a bit of a revolving door for that spot and, of course, a couple of defensive positions that could involve platoons? 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on this one. I would be surprised if there was any one player getting the vast majority of uh, reps at DH. So this team has a lot of options. Our buddy Mark Bowman was tweeting yesterday yeah. about how Ozuna would make sense as a DH candidate. And some people are like, well, you know, the, the defense, and we're talking about all that. And Marcakis, Duvall, uh, if Duvall does, if he winds up playing, uh, Alex did indicate yesterday he expects every player to report, but obviously things can change, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, Austin Riley, the Riley-Johan Cavargo conundrum, which, by the way, feels like it was like three years ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so uh, now you'll, you'll be fine with playing time there. Yeah, if there's a, you know, I'll have to go through every single uh, NL team and evaluate kind of what sure. we have here with DH candidates, but certainly the Braves are one of the top several teams as far as being able to fill that position and transition easily. And, and it makes their lineup better. They're a better team with a DH in it. So, uh, I, I mean, I understand that, you know, there's uh, people who don't want the DH in the National League, and I, I totally get that too. But uh, under mm-hmm. these circumstances right now, the Braves are a better team with it. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I think that as the game continues to evolve, I, I think we try to evolve the outlook that we have for different changes to the game that it may just be time for. And I feel like the DH in the National League is one of those things that at this point, at least in my opinion, it's kind of become a no-brainer just based on the changes that we've seen to both, you know, pitchers not going nine innings, number one, anymore very often, and then also, you know, how seriously are pitchers working on hitting? And I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying, like, is that your priority throughout the week or throughout the year to be working on becoming a better hitter? Or is your priority to work on becoming the best pitcher you can be? And I think as we've gotten more specialized in the game of baseball, that's just one of the byproducts that we're seeing. And I don't know about you, but I'm all for competitive at-bats and giving my team a chance to win one through nine in the order. And, you know, we've already seen this play out for the better part of five decades over in the American League, so we kind of know what we're getting into. Yeah, it's going to help a lot of players. It's going to help teams. I mean, aside from teams like the Braves who have the depth, I mean, you're looking at a guy like J.D. Martinez, Mm-hmm. who, you know, he might be heading toward the end of his Red Sox tenure sometime soon, and all of a sudden he's got a much bigger market than yeah. he normally would have. So there's a lot of players who would really benefit uh, from having the designated hitter. It opens up more jobs, and I, I think for fans, and at a time where baseball is really really trying to resonate with the national audience again and really trying to find ways to move the game forward, again, I understand the traditionalists. I'm not faulting anybody for how they feel about that but it certainly does seem to make sense it it does feel like this is the time that perhaps you know we'll see the dh in the nl this year and quite possibly moving forward yeah and that's something that's going to i think help out a lot of pitchers one of which we got an injury update on yesterday and that of course was cole hamels the braves left-hander who people have probably been wondering about over the past few months if in fact they remember that cole hamels did sign with the braves over the winter alex antopoulos said he's expecting hamels to be ready to get stretched out and be in the rotation come start of the season. He's already been throwing. He's got a bullpen session coming up or going to be happening by the end of the week, so that'll give him another indicator of exactly where he is. But Alex said that he feels pretty good about where Cole Hamels is, expects him to be part of this rotation. And, Gabe, we're not talking about an $18 million investment anymore here, but how big do you think that a healthy Cole Hamels can be for this Braves rotation? Well, it's huge, but, I mean, the, the health really is a question. I mean, you look at the oblique injury last year, you know, the Braves felt good about where he was when they signed him. You know, he winds up getting hurt during off-season workouts. I mean, it it's unfortunate, but, I mean, Hamels has been a workhorse for most of his career. And, you know, quite frankly, you're, you, I mean, you don't need a workhorse now. 
that's not going to be the situation in 2020. So, yeah, it's going to make them a lot better. You know, we talked about starters going three or four innings in their first couple starts. I think whether or not that winds up applying to everyone, I think it will certainly apply to him uh, to be safe with him. And I think he'll really, a guy like that could really come up big in the postseason if the Braves can get there because you've got a World Series MVP on your side now. You've got someone who's, who's been there, done that multiple times. So, uh, that's really an element that they have been missing mm-hmm. over the past couple of years. And so having a guy like that is huge. Having a guy like that around Max Freed, you know, I don't know how the mentorship will kind of evolve now with, you know, the health guidelines and everything, but still just being a guy who he can just pick his mind and learn. I think that Cole Hamels, you know, regardless of what he winds up contributing on the field this year, you know, maybe he does wind up having an overall long-term impact on the Braves and what the younger guys took away from him. Yeah, I think that's something the club would very much like to see, and uh, something you mentioned a little bit earlier, and speaking of younger arms, no surprise here the Braves are looking at using some of those top prospects as rotation depth to cover some innings over the first few weeks of the season, at least not in my mind. That seems to be something the Braves are very well set up to do to help take some of the stress off the starters in the first month of the season, depending on how it plays out. Yeah, so that's one thing that the Braves do have. Uh, whatever you think of Tukey Toussaint and Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, those guys, I mean, they are players who can consume innings, and they're going to be valuable here. I do feel like it is tougher, and I think everyone would agree with this, it, it's tougher to evaluate players, evaluate their growth under these circumstances, especially with a small sample size, too. So, you know, whereas we entered spring training thinking, you know, this could be a pretty big year for Tukey, for Wilson, for these guys to maybe establish themselves as either will they have roles in this organization long term or, you know, are they just kind of trade bay, that type of thing. I think it is hard to determine a player's growth under these circumstances. So I'm not sure, you know, we'll see how much we learn about the players through all this. But regardless of the long-term outlook in the immediate future, I mean, all of those guys are going to be really valuable, and they're going to be pitching even more meaningful innings. I mean, again, we talked about, like, there's a higher sense of urgency now, and these guys are going to be needed because you can't go on, like, a seven-game losing streak. You can't lose six in a row. It'll really cost you. So, yeah, I, I think it could be positive for their development to go through this, but at the same time, I just don't know how much we'll be able to take away, you know, from the sample size of this season. But... Again, regardless, they're going to be relied upon more than they probably would have been even over the longer season now. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it goes with these guys. Now, all of that being said, do you think Felix Hernandez has a chance to not only stick with Atlanta to start the year, but stick around for the full regular season? I do. Uh, he was he was pretty impressive in the original spring training. I do think that he made the team. I, I thought he made the rotation. Uh, that was three months ago. So it's hard to mm-hmm. say what we're looking at now. But he did look healthy. He claimed he was healthy. He insisted that the injuries were what had derailed him at the end of his Seattle run. So, I mean, unless the Braves see, you know, several red flags pop up during this uh, summer training, I would expect he would certainly be on the roster and certainly making starts at least for the beginning of the season, and then they'll take it from there. So, But now, I mean, considering it's 60 games, I mean, at this point, Barring something unforeseen, I would expect him to be with the Braves through the season. Yeah, I agree with that. If he's healthy, I think there's still something for him to offer, especially if you're talking about you know utilizing a couple of starters to cover the first six, seven innings of a game. It makes a lot of sense to see what you have in Felix Hernandez under those conditions as opposed to just 
Well, he threw in a few exhibition games. We're not sure if that was 100% the competitor we're going to get in a regular season game, and you have to make decisions that way. It's going to be interesting to see how teams evaluate their players, especially having 30 on their roster to start the year active players rather than what was 25, what was supposed to be 26. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things that go on to decisions like that or into decisions like that, and Felix Hernandez is one of those for the Braves. Gabe, we've talked a lot about prospects and minor leaguers over the years, and of course even right here on this podcast, and when it comes to the Braves, that's always part of the conversation. Uh, But all of baseball is facing the proposition of not having a normal farm system to call on throughout the year. I think the strange nature of this season may give some opportunities to young players, particularly pitchers, Who do you think could come up and make an impact for Atlanta among their top-rated prospects, regardless of whether they're pitchers or position players? Well, you know, I I wrote back in spring training, I really thought that Kyle Wright was going to figure something out this Mm -hmm. year. I liked the confidence, just the maturity, just experiencing it now. I feel like he was really primed to really finally take that kind of step forward that we've been waiting on. And I really, if I remember correctly, I predicted he was going to assume a rotation spot by the middle of the season, too. So I would stick with him. I still I, I want to see what happens. It's much harder to make these predictions now um, just based on the nature of all this. But I, I still feel like Kyle Wright has a lot to contribute and a lot more to give than we've even seen thus far. So I'm, I'm eager to see him. Uh, we don't know what will wind up happening with Ian Anderson. I actually thought Ian Anderson could wind up being – a pretty useful yeah. uh, player for the Braves this season over the, over the course of 162 games. Now uh, we have no way of knowing, you know, what they're mm-hmm. thinking with Ian, and obviously there won't be a minor league season, so we'll see what happens with that. Like, like we said before, he'll be on the taxi squad, but uh, that's another guy who, you know, I wouldn't rule out him winding up providing some innings, maybe out of the bullpen, uh, just seeing what happens there. So I would definitely say that their top two pitching prospects will be worth keeping an eye on. And I'm going to ask you this because I don't have a clue, but, uh, well, I mean, what about Pache and Waters? What happens with those two guys, you think? I think it's a great question. And from where I sit and just watching and looking into both what they're going to have to work with and really the depth that they have at the major league level in the outfield, I just have a hard time finding a spot for these guys, even with the DH. And I don't know how you feel about this. I'm not sure exactly how all this is going to shake out because I think we could all still be engrossed in the 100-plus page you know, memorandum that Major League Baseball sent out as to you know how things are going to operate this year. But service time for young players, do you want to start their clock this year? Because if you're a club, you're always thinking about that. I don't think there's any two ways about that. Doesn't mean it should stop you from it, but how are those decisions being made? I mean, that's not the number one thing because I think the depth kind of covers the Braves barring injury. But if Enderenciarte goes down and cannot play – for a lengthy period of time like happened in 2019, to me, the stock of Christian Pache skyrockets because I would love to have Ronald Acuna Jr. playing every day in right field. And I think that Pache's done enough to earn himself at least a look, even if it's just as a injury replacement for maybe a week or two at that point. Those are the kind of scenarios I see Christian Pache filling in, and maybe Drew Waters as well. But I don't feel like either one of them were really done with kind of the finishing school that I feel like they were going to get in a triple-A season. And now as we sit here and talk about it, there is no triple-A season to be had. So in uncharted territory and uncertain times, maybe you just throw a couple things against the wall and see if they stick. But I'm sure that you probably feel the same. I'm hoping that we're not talking about, well, everything else has gone wrong for the Braves. They have nothing to lose by trying this 
crazy Hail Mary type decision making. I'm hoping that's not the case just based on, again, how deep this team is. Exactly. So, I mean, I think you raised a really good point about starting their clock. You're in a 60-game season. I think it's easier for a team like the Braves who's trying to win to make a decision like that than say, you know, there's talk like would Wander Franco debut this year for the Rays? You know, do the Padres feel like they could be a playoff team? Is Mackenzie Gore worth is it worth doing that? So, I mean, there's other teams that are going to have tougher debates than the Braves. Whereas with theirs, I think it, like we like you just said, I think it's a matter of uh, it would take injuries, underperformances, and even then, if you were to promote one of these guys, you're really just inviting more unknown. Mm-hmm. You know, there's very few players like Ronald Acuna. Right. So, uh, you know, you're at that point you're banking on just an unknown product there, whereas at least you know what you're getting with a guy like Duvall or Marcakis, Ozuna, uh, Ender. So you have so much outfield depth. It, it does, to me, you know, it's tough to imagine just an easy scenario where one of these guys comes up, but baseball's funny that way. You never know, yeah. and it's certainly easier to see where Anderson would have a path yeah. to maybe putting up some innings than it is for either of those outfielders. And looking ahead, if neither of these outfielders do play this season, how do you handle this offseason? Ozuna's a free agent. You know, what are you looking at then? Because the Braves were kind of looking at this, probably anticipating that Pache would be ready opening day next year or soon. So it's going to create a whole other uh, situation in the offseason as far as what you're looking at, how these players are ready, and how you want to get your roster ready for 21 as well. Yeah, it definitely does. And you brought up earlier, you know, not every prospect is created the same. And, of course, Ronald Acuna Jr. won the Rookie of the Year award in 2018. But if you remember that first 30, 40 games or so that he was up, that first month and a half anyway before he went down at Fenway and we feared that maybe his season was over, he came back and had really made some changes to – you know, his approach and, and refining his swing a bit, and he took off. But that first 30 or 40 games, you know, those numbers were, I don't want to say pedestrian, but they were not really blowing you away. Whereas, you know, you look at the 30 or so games that Austin Riley gave you before he ran into a cold streak, and that kind of 30-game stretch could really carry a team. Conversely, to kind of get back to the original point, you know, it's kind of hard to let a guy come up and take his lumps when the season is so short. So, I think the decision is going to be really interesting, and I think it has to be, you know, just based on how do we feel like this player individually, you know, throwing aside, hey, this guy did this and this guy did that, so what does that tell us? Well, not a lot because this player that you're discussing has to come up and either succeed or fail at his own rate, and I think that that's going to be inherent to any decision that they make. Yeah, these decisions really are player-based and they're team-based. You know, it's like we were saying, it's easier for the Braves to maybe make this call on, okay, we're trying to win a World Series. You know, we're not going to worry about somebody's free agency in six years. Uh, maybe not under these circumstances, though. Again, it is 60 games, and who knows where the team is. I mean, what, I mean, I, what if this team gets off to a bad start? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you get off to a bad start through the first 20 games, you know, what, what do you do? I mean – I would assume this team would still be going for it, but when you know when you get to that trade deadline, what are things worth now? So you're looking at a team like I mentioned earlier, the Rays, and the Rays are always conservative promoting people, and they're always looking ahead, you know, for financial reasons. So you know the top prospect in baseball is there. The Rays look like they have a chance to win the World Series this year. They look good. Yeah, is he going to be ready? 
Is it worth starting him now? If I remember right, he hasn't even played in Triple A yet. Right. So something like that is a lot more complicated than maybe where the Braves are, where if Waters or Pache come up, they would be under probably very unideal circumstances uh, if either of those guys come up. Whereas with Anderson, I, I just feel like you're going to be using so many pitchers during this season, and they've already said that, that it feels like he'll probably be able to get some work in. Yeah, that doesn't really feel like a surprise, but I am interested to see how exactly they keep these guys moving in some kind of developmental path in the minors when you're going to lose innings and lose plate appearances and not have the ability to be seeing game day, day in and day out kind of competition, and then you get called up to the major leagues on top of that. I mean, there's a lot of unknown, a lot of uncertainty, and a lot of intrigue that's going to be wrapped up into a lot of these decisions. And I think we covered a whole bunch of them right here. And I'm looking forward to seeing where exactly we are, Come the whether it's the 23rd or 24th of July. It sounds like that's going to be the opening day or opening weekend or whatever we want to call it. And the Braves and every club in Major League Baseball has quite a bit of ground to cover. And here in the next week or so, players will start reporting to their big league stadiums or their spring training complexes, depending on how that all breaks down. And you know, trying to get themselves ready to go in relatively short order. But, uh, Gabe, I know that you've probably seen a lot of this on social media as well. These players you know, have been you know, staying ready as best they can, but it's probably going to be nice for them to have a reunion where they can have somebody to work with as opposed to you know, maybe setting up a tee in their backyard and, and trying to stay ready or throwing a ball against a wall or to somebody that's probably not a professional catcher. Yeah, exactly, and uh, it's better than Zoom calls. Or, uh, you know, phone calls with Cranny or with Snit and just being able to work with everybody again. Yeah. I, these players are excited. I mean, these guys want to play. You know, for some reason, there's always a few tweets that are people are acting like these players don't want to play. I mean, I think they made it clear. Sure. They're ready to roll. And they're going to attack this 60-game season just as seriously as they would any other one. So, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's good to have everyone back. I think everybody is uh, kind of cautiously excited, per se, right now. I, I think everyone is excited to have sports back but at the same time we understand how serious everything else is so uh certainly uh it would be welcome if they can get this thing going without any hiccups and everybody's safe and uh, we can get a little baseball again even even though it's only about two months of it yeah no doubt about it and cautiously optimistic i think is a pretty good way to term that and you know for us in the media as we try to cover the game and bring the discussion the analysis and the stories that make up a major league baseball season it's going to be different as well I'm interested to see what the protocols are for, you know, our access to the ballpark. We're not going to be wandering around in the clubhouses and dugouts and on the field this year, but, you know, still a lot of work to be done and a lot of excitement for us to be back in the saddle and, you know, be around baseball again and hopefully doing everything we can for one another to take the necessary precautions and, you know, get through this season without incident. So looking forward to it. And, Gabe, looking forward to chatting with you about the Braves again. Let's keep this on a fairly regular schedule as we get ourselves ready to see what exactly the 2020 season is going to look like because I know we've both been waiting quite a while to find out that there will be a 2020 season. For sure, Grant. Thanks for having me on as always and uh, looking forward to talking baseball throughout the 60-game season. My thanks again to Gabe Burns for making some time to join us on the show. You can follow him at Gabe Burns AJC on Twitter. Make sure you're keeping up with his work. And, of course, my thanks as always to Bill Rowland for stopping in and discussing all of the ins and outs of what this unique Major League Baseball season is going to look like. You can follow him on Twitter as well, at Bill Rowland, B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D. That'll wrap us up for this episode of the show. Make sure, as always, that you're subscribed to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. Please share the show with a friend as well. 
and on social media, on Twitter, at FromTheDiamond underscore. You can find me at Grant McCauley. Instagram, at FromTheDiamond, and I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. Over at FromTheDiamond.com, you can find every episode of the show and all the other Braves and baseball coverage throughout the 2020 season. Thanks again for making From the Diamond part of your baseball regimen for this week. And we're looking forward to next week as we inch just a little bit closer to opening day of the 2020 Major League Baseball season. Until next time, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone. <laughs>